Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Psalm 15, a Psalm of David. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose way of life is blameless who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honours those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. May your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Wonderful to be opening uh, the word with you this morning. Uh, My name's Andy. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, uh, it's wonderful um, to be here together. And uh, I want to talk today about the tongue. I want to talk about the tongue. And it's something that you don't need to look far to see examples in our uh, newspapers about people who could do with some advice in this particular area. Flicking through recent events, a federal politician apologises after she made fun of her opponent's physical appearance. A senior Victorian police officer is forced to resign after making sexist, homophobic and racist comments, sometimes all three at the same time, in person and in bizarre anonymous comments on YouTube clips. Or perhaps most startlingly, uh, recently a doctor at a major Australian hospital was fired and then sentenced to two years in jail after it's discovered that she lied on her CV about whether she had a medical degree. Actually, there's some examples in ministry as well. I recently read a really sad uh, report about a chaplain at a major American evangelical Bible college who uh, was fired after making an inappropriate joke. I also remember hearing um, a podcast recently from a major American preacher, North American preacher, where he told a story that I know for a fact is a lie. And I know that because I've heard the person who that story happened to tell the story. And he had lifted the entire story word for word from another preacher. Now, I noticed, other people noticed, but he's still preaching. And it affected me because I thought, wow, can I take anything you say seriously from now on? Now, often the defence that's given when people are doing the uh, public apology circuit is, I said the wrong thing, that's not who I am, really. You know, those horrible racist comments, that's not really who I am. Which sort of is the right thing to say, I guess, but you can't help but think that maybe that is who you are. Maybe actually, rather than these words sort of popping out by accident, I think we're often a little bit sceptical that perhaps these words didn't betray you, they actually displayed you. They displayed the real 
you. Or in fact, the real me. Because let's be honest, we all say dumb things. Or at least I do. Uh, many, many passages in the Old Testament we could pick up that uh, major on this theme of words. And there's, of course, warnings in the New Testament, the book of James, those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is useless. Well, we wouldn't want to have useless religion. So uh, today I'm going to look at Psalm 15 with us, if that's all right. And there's a few uh, themes that we pick up, three uh, themes I particularly want to pick out of here. So let's get it underway in Psalm 15. Psalm 15, Lord, uh, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Well, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from the heart. I take it uh, that lying is pretty simple, idea to understand. It's when you say things that aren't true in order to deceive. Uh, it's when you're trying to deceive somebody else. For whatever reason, God never does this, by the way. God never lies. That's not who he is. He only ever speaks truth. But in contrast, when Satan lies, we're told, he's speaking his first language. His natural speech is lie as the father of lies in John 8. So who is your father? If your father is God, the one who never lies, then we as Christians are not to lie. We should speak the truth, whether in big things or small things. A godly person speaks the truth from their heart. But there's more that we need to be aware of in our speech. Because verse 3, the godly person is the one whose tongue offers, utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour and casts no slur on others. Uh, the word slander here means to say something with the goal of damaging another person's reputation. For example... If I say, uh, I saw Scott Harrow a kicker puppy. Now, you're not going to believe that. Because that's obviously not true. Uh, but the gold seems, I mean, it's saying something negative about a person, um, and in this case, untrue, in order to damage their reputation. You can't get that image out of your head now, can you? That's um, the power of words. Sometimes this is called backstabbing, but I think that phrase actually needs to go because it implies far too much bravery. Right? Because to stab someone in the back, you have to get close enough and have a weapon. But to slander someone, you can do that from the privacy of your own computer, anonymously, in the dark. Slander is the weapon of the coward. In Psalm 64, cruel words are likened to an arrow because you can fire them from a distance, even without Twitter. Words in private, anonymous words in public, they're a particularly damaging way of assaulting a victim. And if you've ever, ever had um, experience, many of us have experienced what it's like to have something untrue said about you by nameless, faceless people. Uh, it is paralysing and deeply devastating. Now, of course, sometimes, like uh, the puppies thing, the information is untrue, but sometimes the information can be true. Right? Sometimes slander can be about true things. Do you want some examples of true and negative things about the faculty members at Ridley? I can give you some examples of a morning tea if you'd like. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> what's the difference between speaking negatively about someone and slander? Because it's actually not, not the case that it's always wrong to speak negatively about someone. Um, 
I've uh, I've been in a situation where I know something negative about someone that I think I have a duty to say. And likewise, um, I remember a, 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 a vicar who was bullying his staff who said, well, it would be slander for you to say anything about that. I'm like, well, maybe. But actually, I think that's not okay to leave that unsaid. There's times in which we need to stop someone doing more damage. So what's the difference? Well, I take it when you look at Matthew 18, you know, that classic dispute resolution passage. The goal there is that you win the person back. The goal is love in the end. I mean, it's unpleasant, but the goal in, in speaking first to the person who's concerned and then, uh, to, if necessary, to others and then to the church is to win back the erring brother or sister. But the motivation in slander is just, well, not love, but not, not, not love, but to be the person in the know, isn't it? Oh, I know something about that person. To have something interesting to share in conversation or to gain social standing at the other person's expense. And a warning to myself and, and maybe to you, it's very easy to cross over from the necessary and good sharing of information in ministry into the nasty slander idea. Uh, the um, mention here of um, casting slurs, I think, is really interesting. It's, it's literally um, in the text the sort of raising up of a taunt. So when your enemies taunt you in the Psalms, it's the same word as here. And I think that means it can include speaking about someone to them even, not just to other people, right? slandering someone to themselves, putting them down, speaking negatively with an intent to harm them. And we have to be very, 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 very careful about negative comments about a person or a group of people because we don't know necessarily who is listening. And I, 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 I stress that Christians should have no interest, no time for making or even hearing slurs against individuals or group of people. Um, friends, there's, there's far too much borderline or not even borderline sexist, homophobic, racist comments in our churches, even, I have to say, in sermons that I've heard. And there's no place for that. Uh, the third category then is the, um, the promises, someone who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. The person who sums this up best, though he's not a great moral character, uh, is Frank Underwood from House of Cards, <laughs> where the, very, the, whole, the whole kind of murderous rampage he goes on starts when he's promised the role of the Secretary of State or something. And he's uh, brought in and, and says, look, I'm sorry, Frank, we're not nominating you for Secretary of State after all. I know the President made a promise, but circumstances change. To which he replies, the nature of promises, Linda, is that they are immune from changing circumstances. <laughs> And he has his revenge. Now, I'm not suggesting you copy that dark, dark human being. But he's onto something, isn't he? The whole point of our promise is that they don't change when circumstances change. They're immune from changing circumstances. A godly person keeps an oath even when it hurts. Because after all, what, why, what, what, what good is an oath if you can back out if it's going to cause you harm? An oath is a type of promise. Whether we tell someone that something is going to happen or that we will do something, uh, they rely on us based on that oath. I'm going to pick you up from the airport tomorrow is an oath or at least a promise. And so if I sleep in instead or decide that petrol prices are such that I can no longer keep that promise, 
you've relied on me to your detriment and I have let you down. Sorry about that. And you're stuck at the airport. God, it's important to say, never breaks his promises. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. What he says he does, he does always, even when people try to stop him. Now, uh, one thing that Jesus clarifies for us is that you don't have to make a formal oath for it to be binding on you. You don't have to say, I promise. You don't have to hereby solemnly swear to commit to driving said automobile to the appointed place at the appointed time to pick you up from the aircraft. You don't have to write it down legalese for it to be binding. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, says Jesus. If I say I'm going to pick you up from the airport, then that is an oath. That is a promise or as good as such. Now, sometimes things do actually happen that mean that we physically cannot complete a promise the situation then is that we must ask for forgiveness. And not just an, I'm sorry, I got caught up. I'm sorry, plans changed. But I made a promise to you and I recognise that I broke that promise. I recognise that you relied on me and I shouldn't have made that promise or I should have done it. Please forgive me. You keep your promises even when it hurts. This should be a rare thing, by the way. I have a friend uh, who I don't even expect them to turn up when they say they will. And I'm more surprised than anything when they do. Let that never be said about us. So if, um, we see in Psalm 15 a few different features of the godly person to do with the tongue. Their attitude towards truth, their attitudes towards slander and promises. How do you change? Well, that's what we're meant to do, but how are you meant to change? I'll tell you what, uh, the tongue is one of the hardest things to tame, and I take that from uh, James chapter 3. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humans, but no human being can tame the tongue. Well, that's optimistic, James. Thank you. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, there's plenty of self-help Christian books that will tell you how you can go about changing the way you speak. Most of it's useless advice, but some of it's helpful. Right? Some people suggest having a swear jar or having a Christian buddy who you take with you when you go out in the town to keep you accountable for those risque jokes. Some people uh, suggest in books, imagine Jesus is sitting next to you at every conversation at the table. Now, these sort of uh, commitment devices or temptation avoid- avoidance devices or accountability tactics Look, they can help. I don't mean to disparage these sorts of things. But fundamentally, they don't change us. They might buy us time, but they don't change us. They can help, but real change requires something different. Why? Why is it so difficult to change the way we speak? Well, actually, because the tongue is part of us. The tongue is attached to us. And the awful awful reality that we need to confront is that our tongue doesn't have a mind of its own. It doesn't, uh, we don't lose control of our tongues. We say what's in us a lot of the time. The tongue expresses uncomfortably what is in our hearts. 
I'm sure there's a struggle going on within us, but it's as much as we talk about the tongue needing taming, actually the tongue is part of our bodies. The tongue is part of who we are. There's a battle within us. What causes fights and quarrels among you, asks James in chapter 4. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, the thing is, I want to change the way I speak, but I want something else more. I want to be liked and funny more. Why do I tell that borderline joke? Why do I share that juicy piece of gossip? Well, I want to speak well and I want to please God, but what I want more is to be an interesting person, to fit in with the people I'm talking to, to be in a position of power, for you to think about me the way that I'm carefully cultivating your thoughts about me. Right? Sometimes it's very easy not to lie, but sometimes the reason why we lie is to defend who we are presenting ourselves to be. I still remember hearing Tim Keller talk about why he lies. I was like, whoa, Tim Keller lies? <laughs> right, next to you're going to tell me Santa Claus isn't real. That's like <laughs> right, crazy talk. But it was very revealing. He said, you know, why I lie? It's when I'm defending, you know, it's, it's about these little things which are revealing. When I'm defending uh, my... Uh, who I present myself to be in the, in the world, defending my reputation. Uh, for me, I mean, this might be more revealing than you want, but um, when I'm tempted to lie, it's when I've, I've said something stupid about an area of expertise that I'm meant to be a, you know, a, a proper grown-up in. You know? I've said something stupid about the Old Testament. Or if you ask me, you know, have I read a book that I probably should have read? Oh, not recently. <laughs> I can't use that one now, can I? You're on to me. It's when I'm trying to present something, when my identity is being, uh, when my identity is under threat, when how I I need you to see me and how I need to see myself is under threat. I don't need to lie about other things. I don't need to lie about my sporting prowess. It's not part of my identity. But being the smart person, being the person in control, that is. And so you're going to hear lies from me on that. So the solution is for us to realise that in the gospel, we, it's not just that we aren't meant to lie. It's not just that we shouldn't lie. We have to realise that we don't need to lie. It's okay for you to know that I'm actually a fraud. Like, seriously. <laughs> it's okay for you to know that as a pastor, I don't always have it totally together. It's okay for you to see through my weaknesses. Why do we lie? Because there's something that we're holding on to that actually we don't need to often. I've momentarily forgotten that I don't need sin because I've got Jesus, something better, an identity in him. So when uh, Brian Rosner asks me who's responsible for a failed project, And I spin the truth because I fear losing my job or looking stupid. I think I need to lie. But actually, if I believe the gospel, then I believe that even if I do lose my job, I'll be okay because I can never lose God. Friends, the psalm ends with uh, the words, whoever does these things will never be shaken. And that's... uh, True, but I realise that I've kind of laid a little bit of uh, 
a burden on us. Yeah. One thing I realised recently is I can go for like five minutes in conversation without saying something stupid. But on Sundays, particularly when I was doing long pastoral um, days on Sunday, you know, kind of three services, four services, lots of conversations. Like, I don't feel like I'm an awkward or like um, kind of I'm prone to gaffes, but just the sheer numbers are against you on Sunday, (laughs) right? If I talk to 25 people in a row, then, I mean, the chances of me saying something stupid are quite high, all right? And, in fact, that's biblical. Proverbs 10 says, when there's many words, transgressions, oh, they're coming for you, okay? So you are going to say stupid things. I'm going to keep on saying stupid things. And so I want to leave us with um, something that's not in the psalm but something that is in the book of 1 Peter, which is just the assurance that even though we say stupid things and have to often apologise in ministry, uh, we don't preach ourselves, we don't put ourselves forward as the ones to emulate or follow. We are saved just like everyone else by grace and through faith in the one who committed no sin and whose uh, no deceit was found in his mouth. You see, when they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate, though I often want to. When he suffered, he made no threats, though I often do. Instead, he entrusted himself to who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And that's good news, and that's where I'm going to leave us if you pray with me. Father, we are prone to gaffes and worse, and these reveal something about what's going on inside us uncomfortably. Thank you that we worship and follow the one who spoke perfectly. I pray that we would more and more each day take hold of the identity that he has won for us in his death and resurrection. Help us to realise, God, that we don't need to lie. We don't need to slander. We don't need to break our promises because Jesus is all that we need, really. Amen.